The following message is brought to you by the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church. This message by Pastor Matt Shia was recorded during our regular morning worship service. Pastor Matt is the senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This morning, our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, will be filling in for Pastor Matt, who's on vacation. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. And now, here's Pastor Lou. Well, near the end of his life, the Apostle Peter lived in a time that was much like ours in some ways, but also different than ours in some ways. It was like ours in, in the way that there were many false teachers arising within the church and they were bringing destruction with their wayward teachings. And Peter makes this comment in his letter, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But many false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce swift, uh, destructing heresies and even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And today we see the multiplication of false teaching and false teachers all around us. And the results are pretty much the same as was in Peter's day. And that is that they bring deception, they bring destruction, and these false teachers bring this upon themselves as well as those who follow them. Now Peter's time was not like ours in that Peter was facing death shortly at the hand of a maniacal dictator and Peter knew that this was coming down the pipe. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 14 Peter comments that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And indeed shortly after this 2 Peter letter was written Peter indeed was crucified by the dictator uh, the emperor Nero. And in light of the imminent departure in his imminent departure and the false teachers that were causing confusion in the church, Peter wrote the letter that we know as Second Peter to remind Christians of this truth, the truths of the Christian faith, so that they would not be led astray. And he commented this at the beginning of that letter in Second Peter. He said, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. And in particular, Peter is concerned that these false teachers would cause his readers to lose the assurance of their salvation. And we see this exhortation in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. And certainly in light of the amount of false teachings that we have going on in our day, it would do well for us to be reminded of the central truths of our faith. You see, these are our best safeguard to be in the truth and not be deceived. And this morning we're going to do just that as we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. And the title of today's sermon is Peter's Final Reminder. And we'll be looking at eight reminders that the Apostle Peter addresses to his readers in this passage. And turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's begin reading. And if you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in the seat pocket there in front of you. 
Peter starts out and he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this verse, we see the first reminder of Peter, and that is that in light of many false teachers among them, Peter reminds his fellow Christians about the source of their faith. And notice what the source is. It's the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Most people, you go out on the street and most people, you ask, well, are you going to go to heaven? They say, well, of course, I'm going to heaven. But if you were to ask them, well, why is it that you think you're going to heaven? What would they say? What do you think they would say, most of them? I'm a good person. Anything else they would say? I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. I go to church. Yeah. My parents were Christians. And I'm a good guy. What's that? I've been baptized, yes. I'm just a good all-around person. That's who I am. And so many people, that's what, that's, what you would, that's what you'd hear from them. And most people think that they're going to heaven because of some form of good works that they have done. And even many religions that are flourishing around the world take that same approach that they're going to get to heaven because of good works. And even a significant number of Christian churches in, in and around us come very dangerously close to advocating good works as a means to uh, getting to heaven. But the Bible is very clear on that. And that is that none of us are fit for heaven. And the Bible says this about us. It says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, none who seeks God. All have turned aside and together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So let there be no doubt. There is no one that is ever saved by their own works. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ. And here's what the Bible says about that. It says that the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's how it works. You see, our perfect, sinless Savior took our sins on Himself and paid the death penalty that we deserve to pay because of our unrighteousness. And as a result of his death on the cross, we have, who have put our faith in Christ are now righteousness, have his righteousness. And we are righteous in his eyes because of who we are in Christ. We have what is called imputed righteousness. And again, it had nothing to do with us. And it had everything to do with Jesus' righteousness. And Peter even takes this a step farther. Look, look at verse 3 of our text. He says that he called us by his own glory and excellence. Have a look also at verse 10. Peter comments that our faith is based on the Lord's calling and choosing us. You see, our faith, is our salvation is by God's sovereign choice. 
period. It had nothing to do with us. As Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. And our righteous Lord, he is the source of our faith. Now, Peter's second reminder comes in verse 2a. Peter is greeting his readers, and he reminds them of the blessings of their faith. Look at it, and it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And let's stop right there. You see, multiplied grace and peace are the blessings that God has given us in our Christian faith. Let's talk about grace. Grace is God generously giving us something that we don't deserve. And God's grace, which He lavishly pours out on us, is indeed precious. Let's look at some of the verses dealing with God's grace. And I've printed them on the back of your, the flip side of your note outline there. I'm going to go through them real quick. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. God gives us His grace so that we can overcome sin and weakness. Any of you guys have that? I sure do. 1 Corinthians 15.10 tells us that God's grace helps us to work hard. 2 Corinthians 8.1 tells us that God's grace helps us to give of our finances sacrificially. Philippians 1.7 tells us that God's grace helps us to persevere when we suffer for Christ and minister to others. Hebrews 13.9 tells us that God's grace strengthens our hearts. James 4.6 tells us that God's grace helps us to resist our evil desires. 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us that God's grace helps us to triumph in the midst of our physical weakness. You see, God's multiplied grace is critical to living and growing in our Christian faith, and it is truly an awesome gift. And peace is multiplied to us through our faith in Christ also. And this peace is a state of, of, inner, of inner tranquility that fears nothing from God and is content with its everyday circumstances. But Peter makes that clear that this grace comes through the Lord. And interestingly, this peace is something that the world seeks for, but guess what? Most of the time they don't find it. But we who are in Christ have this peace abundantly through Him. And while many false teachers in the church today teach that the blessings of the Christian faith are health and wealth, Peter teaches that the true blessings of the Christian faith are grace and peace. And they are multiplied through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's third reminder is in the last half of verse 2 when he reminds his readers of the core of their faith, saying, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You see, the true core of the Christian faith is a full knowledge of God that is born out of an intimate, loving, living relationship with Him. Now, that Greek word for the word knowledge here, it implies an active relationship between the one who knows and the one who is known. And it, it's an experiential knowledge. 
It's based on communion between the Lord and us. And one commentator makes this remark about the character of this knowledge. He says, This knowledge of the Lord possessed by believer is not a mere intellectual knowledge of facts concerning Him acquired by a study of the Gospels, but a heart experience of what and who He is gained by such a study plus a personal association with Him by means of the Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is a person-with-person knowledge through intimate fellowship. And the core of faith is not mere head knowledge. It isn't. It's based on loving communion with Him. And Peter wants to make sure that his readers understand this very thoroughly. In fact, he reminds them of this relationship-derived knowledge seven times in this little short letter. Notice in verse 2, the multiplied grace and peace are a byproduct of the relationship-derived knowledge of God. Verse 3, that everything pertaining to life and godliness comes through this true love relationship with God. Verse 8, that usefulness and fruitfulness are connected with this experiential love of God. And at the very conclusion of this letter, his last word to these Christians, the last verse, he exhorts them and he says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge. There's that word of our Lord and Savior Jesus. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You know, there's much Christian teaching today that reduces faith in Christ to nothing more than just kind of sucking it up and doing a bunch of biblical do's and don'ts. And I'm sorry, but that's, that's false teaching. That is false teaching. Now, don't get me wrong. Obedience to the Lord is never optional in the Christian life. It isn't. But obedience is meant to be the overflow of a knowledge of God that flows out of a love relationship between He and He and us. And that is why Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind and strength. So, how's your relationship? Awesome. Good to hear with the Lord. Communication is the basis of growing relationships, of any sort for that matter. And our Lord speaks to us through the Bible, which is His Word. Are you in the habit of hearing from Him each day? And I really like what Pastor Matt said a couple weeks ago about taking the Scripture and personalizing it to us, putting our name in there, because that's what the Bible is. It's the Word of God speaking to us. And we need to put our name in there because He is speaking to us. Are you taking the time to draw near and to listen? Are you responding back to what the Lord says in love and obedience? And are you keeping your conversation going with Him all day long? That is so important. That's what the Scripture calls abiding. And it's so critical in our Christian walk. Indeed, this true knowledge of God based on a real relationship with Him is the core, it's the essence, it's the substance of the Christian life. 
Peter's fourth reminder is in verse 3, where he reminds his readers of the completeness of their faith when he says, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And I don't know about you, but this is a real eye-opener. You see, the life that Peter is talking about here is not life such as, such as standing there, uh, 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 existing and being a blob and breathing. There's a Greek word for that too. But the, the word that is used here and that Peter used is that he has given us everything pertaining to life. Vibrant, exciting, passionate life. It's the life that Jesus said. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, the fullest, most precious life that is available on this rock here is available to us in our relationship with the Lord. And He has provided it for us in all of its completeness. And Peter also says that we have been given everything pertaining to godliness. Now that godliness that he's talking about there is a, it's a God-focused It's an adoring, loving, reverential attitude towards the Lord. It's connected with that concept of worship. And that's the type of relationship that he wants to have for us. And again, you notice that that relationship is implicit in this. You see, the Lord has completely provided everything for us, abundant life, birth to death, and home going, and everything for abundant relationships with both between us here in the body as well as that relationship with Him. And again, notice that the completeness of this life and godliness comes through the true knowledge of Him. We've been given a complete faith by our Lord. Peter's fifth reminder is in verse 4 where he reminds his readers of the promises of their faith when he says... For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And what promises the Lord has given us. I've I've put a few of those on the back of your outline again, so if you can flip that over, we're going to go through those real quick. Look at these. These are awesome. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus promises that he would always be with us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we learn that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee that we will make it through to glory. Praise God. Galatians 5.16 indicates that the Lord has made provision for us to walk in holiness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that as we behold the Lord's glory and abide in His presence, we are transformed into His image. Romans 8.15-17 tells us that we are God's dearly loved adopted children and that He wants a relationship with us that is characterized by tenderness. And we learn that we are co-heirs of all things with Christ. Romans 8, 31-39 tells us that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13-14, we learn that our sin is completely forgiven and that the debt has been nailed to the cross and stamped on it, paid in full, 
And there's nothing that can ever come back to condemn us again. In 1 John 3, 2, he lets us know that someday we will see Christ face to face. And when we do, we're going to be just like Him, changed into His very image. In Matthew 11, 28-30, Jesus tells us that if we come to Him when we are weary and heavy laden, then He will give us rest and bring peace to our souls. In John 15, 11, Jesus tells us that if we abide in Him, that we will be full of His joy. What neat promises. But it even gets better. It even gets better. Look with me at 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before Him, John says, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked for Him. Now, in essence, in this verse, we are promised that if we ask for anything according to His will, we'll get it. Period. That's it. We're not told the when or the how, but we're promised that we will indeed get it. And this very verse actually takes and converts every command of Scripture into a potential promise. You ever have... I used to actually look at those commands and get bummed out about them because I wasn't doing them. But guess what? They're actually promises because you can go to the Lord. Have a, for instance, do you have a problem with anger? Well, let's look at what the Lord's Word commands. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of God does not achieve the righteousness of men. You know, if you have a problem with anger, go to the Lord and ask Him. Say, Lord, empower me to be quick to hear. Lord, make me slow to speak and slow to anger, for I know that your righteousness, my righteousness, or my anger does not accomplish your righteousness. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think the Lord's going to answer that prayer? You know He will. He promised you will because you've asked for something that He commanded you to do. And again, the timing and the means are up to God, but He will answer that prayer. Now why does the Lord give us all these wonderful promises and commands of Scripture? Well, Peter answers that question at the end of verse 4. He says the reason is so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, becoming a partaker of the divine nature means that we become increasingly like Him morally. That's what he's talking about there. But it also means that we will have increasingly have fellowship with Him. The Greek word for partaker is actually from the, the word with which they get the word fellowship. You may have heard of the word koinonia. That's the root of what that word partaker is. And again, Peter brings to our attention, again, the importance of the communion, our relationship with the Lord as the core of our Christian faith. The question is, are we immersing ourselves in the commands and in the promises of God's Word. The Lord has provided these things so that we can come to know Him 
and that we can come to be changed progressively into His image. But they knew us, do us no good if we're not consciously reminding ourselves of them and looking at them. For me, what, what I do is actually, I each day as I'm having my time with the Lord, I actually write them down, the things that the Lord causes to kind of jump out at me. And I'll go through them during the day and put my name in here and, and talk to the Lord about these things, these commands and these promises. And uh, I'll pull them out and remind myself regularly so that I keep reminding myself of these precious and magnificent promises that the Lord has made for us. Well, so far we've looked at what Peter says is the source of our faith. We've looked at the blessings of our faith, the core of our faith. We've looked at the completeness of our faith. And we've looked at the promises of our faith. Now, Peter's sixth reminder is in verses 5 through 7. And he reminds his readers of the responsibilities of their faith. He says, Now, for this very reason also... Applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness Christian love. Now in light of our relationship-derived knowledge of God, the grace and the peace which is multiplied through that, the gift of abundant life and godliness and the promises of God, Peter reminds them of their responsibility to supply Christian character in their Christian lives. And this is clearly a command. You know, we discussed earlier the error of reducing the Christian life to a set of do's and don'ts. But it's it's also equally an error to simply look at the Christian life as a love relationship without any growing personal holiness in it. Both of those extremes are wrong. And you're in trouble if you're on either extreme. And sadly, many Christian teachers are on those extremes. You see, we have a responsibility in this matter. And the Apostle Paul echoes this important idea in his own writings in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And there's a delicate balance here. Referring back to our main text that we've been looking at, notice that Peter starts out this portion of Scripture with the phrase, now for this very reason. You see, supplying Christian character flows out of a love relationship, knowledge of the Lord, it's actualized by the multiplied grace of the Lord and it's nourished by the commands and promises of Scripture. That's how it works. And notice in verse 5 that Peter exhorts them to be very deliberate in supplying these character qualities. 
Now, with that delicate balance in mind, let's briefly look at the seven character qualities that Peter tells us that we need to supply. The first character quality that Peter reminds his readers to supply is moral excellence. And this moral excellence is the same word that is used at the end of verse 3 of our text, talking about the Lord's calling us by His own excellence. That's the same word. And you see, we're commanded to be increasingly more and more morally pure like our Lord is. And a Christian faith that lacks that increasing moral maturity calls into question whether the person is really even saved. And the second character quality that Peter reminds his readers to supply is knowledge. And again, this is that that knowledge that's derived from a love relationship with God that we've already talked about. And we must consistently draw near to the Lord and allow that knowledge to produce in our lives. And the third character quality that Peter reminds his readers to supply is self-control. And this self-control is essentially subjecting the desires of our body and mind to the will of under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you see, folks in the world get this absolutely backwards because the way that they live, they are actually in their deadness of spirit, they are subjecting their their will and their mind to their body. The body is calling the shots there. It's the old, if it feels good, do it type thing. And as Christians, our bodies need to be taking orders from our reborn spirits that are being reprogrammed with the truth of God's Word channeled through the Holy Spirit. This is what self-control is. And incidentally, as you well know, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, the fourth character quality that Peter reminds his readers to supply is perseverance. And perseverance is continuing to bear up under difficult circumstances. And it's interesting that this perseverance comes right on the heels of self-control. You see, when we exercise self-control and say no to our flesh and yes to obeying God, guess what? At times, that can be painful because the old flesh, it it cries and it whimpers and it says, oh, please, won't you just indulge me? And we got to say, no, no, we're not going there. You see, by the multiplied grace of God, we must persevere in saying no to our flesh and yes to the Spirit of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is our model in that. When every fiber of his being said, don't go to the cross. And he he obeyed the Lord and did that and did what God said. He said yes to the Lord and did those things. The fifth character quality that Peter reminds his readers to supply is godliness. And again, Peter has used this word already back in verse 3, and he comments that uh, when the comments that the Lord has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And this godliness, again, is a God-focused, reverential, loving attitude towards the Lord. And Peter reminds his readers to cultivate this stance before God, 
And again, the concept of abiding and remaining in the Lord's presence is very much implicit in that. And we're called to add that to our Christian faith. The sixth quality that uh, Peter reminds his readers to supply is brotherly kindness. And this character quality is affection for fellow Christians. It's affection for us, one another, within the body of Christ. And I particularly want to exhort all of us, myself included, in this area. How many of you last week were at the baptism? Good. Good time. We saw 15 people baptized, most of whom who had been here a very short time at our church in RBC, and 10 of who were brand new Christians. And you know what? We need to in acts of brotherly kindness, fold these new brothers and sisters into the body. We need to welcome them. We need to bring them into the fellowship and make them feel at home. That's what this brotherly kindness is talking about. And we really need to be good at that and becoming better at it. The seventh character quality that Peter reminds his readers to supply is love. And this is the agape love of God that he's exhorting them to have. And it's at the head of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, this is love not only for us within the body of Christ, but it's love for all men. And see, we need to be showing the love of Christ to our neighbors and serving them because that is one of the ways that they are going to see the love of Christ and desire to turn to him. Now we've looked at the responsibilities of our faith in verses 5 through 7, and we'll see Peter's seventh reminder in verse 8, where he reminds his readers of the fruitfulness of their faith. The fruitfulness of their faith. In verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when a Christian is growing in these qualities, just as Peter has mentioned, all of these which flow out of that love relationship with the Lord and, are, and they're being transformed by the precious promises of the Word of God and the commands of Scripture, such a person is a profoundly fruitful tool in the hands of the Lord. You see, They're transformed into the image of Christ, and that kind of person is a truly weird person. But it's kind of an attractive kind of weird. And it's a weird that's full of joy and it's full of peace. And it's a weird that other people look at it and they say, hey, will you help me become weird like you? It's kind of fun when that occurs. And the Christian life lived in this manner is a life of much fruit and usefulness and weirdness, but a good weirdness to the Lord. Peter's eighth and final reminder is in verse 9 where he reminds the readers of the folly of a fruitful or fruitless faith. Try and say that five times fast. Look with me at verse 9 where Peter says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And in this verse, Peter wants to fix in the minds of his readers what happens if they go back to living in the world and cease producing this fruit of righteousness. 
And Peter's description of this folly is so vivid. First, he describes them as blind. And the literal translation of the word from the Greek is to envelop in smoke, which is really kind of an odd thing. Now, I talked to my son-in-law, who is a firefighter, and he related to me what it is like to be enveloped in smoke. And the first thing that he commented to me, interestingly, is the most prominent thing about that is you become disoriented. He said you can walk around in a circle and you don't even know where you're going. You can't even tell up from down a lot of time when you're in that condition. You completely lose your sense of direction. And he commented that this could this could literally render a person useless and in danger of being burned up and consumed. And this is what Peter is alluding to when he characterized these folks as blind. And second, Peter describes the backslidden Christians as short-sighted. And the idea behind this is, it literally means to squint like this. It's a person who can see up close real well, but when they look far away, they're going like this, and they're, they're trying to see what's far away. That's what he's, what he's talking about there. And he's describing a person who is spiritually nearsighted and has no discernment. They are preoccupied with worldly pursuits and they're living for themselves. And third, Peter describes these backslidden Christians as having forgotten their purification from sin. You see, they're living in sin again. The old sins that they escaped from Guess what? They're back. And they have deliberately forgotten their former deliverance, and they've forgotten it in order to suppress their guilt that they are receiving from it. Because, see, these are Christians. What a dismal picture. These backslidden Christians are spiritually blind, they're preoccupied with the cares of the world. They're suppressing the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and they have become fruitless in their faith. Not a pretty picture at all. Well, having looked at Peter's eight final reminders addressed to Christian readers, we now need to talk about applying these things to our own life. And fortunately, Peter even provides this application from his perspective. Look with me at verses 10 through 11. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Notice that Peter starts out with the word, Therefore. And in light of the two examples that he has just talked about, that's why he uses the word therefore, he wants his readers to understand this. And he's concerned that his readers might stumble because of the false teaching that is going on among them. Now, when Peter is talking about stumbling, he's referring to his concern that readers who are Christians would lose their assurance of salvation. And as we talked about earlier, the Lord has in, if the Lord has indeed called and chosen you, it's impossible to lose your salvation, but your assurance can definitely waver. 
And if you're not living in fellowship with the Lord and not producing fruit in your life, your assurance of salvation will likely be pretty weak, even though you are saved. You see, assurance is abundant when we're living in the Lord's presence, when we're delighting and depending upon His promises and growing in holiness, being useful in His hands. And for those walking with close with the Lord in this way, there will be abundant rewards from the Lord when we see Him someday. And that's what Peter is talking about in verse 11. Having a joyous abundance entrance into the Lord's presence. And if today you are a Christian, but you've been living in blindness, in the smoke of your own forest fire that you have created, stuffing down the guilt of stubbornly rebelling against the Lord and lacking a profound assurance that you are saved, then make right now the time you repent of your rebellion and turn back to the Lord. As of today, begin seeking Him. Begin living in the promises and commands of His Word. You see, abundant grace and peace awaits you. Everything pertaining to life and godliness awaits you. Abundant assurance of your salvation awaits you. And a glorious reunion with your Lord and rewards from that will become your great hope and your great joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Peter's important final words about what the Christian life is really all about. Thank you for the abundance that is ours in our relationship with you and through your word. You have graciously and lavishly blessed us, Lord. Cause us to live in that blessing and be useful, fruitful, joyous tools in your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about this message, Rancho Baptist Church, or simply about knowing God in a deeper way, you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org or you can simply call us at area code 951-676-2911. May the Lord richly bless you in your walk with Him.